Um, so hello guys, my name is Raul, or Raulita, whatever you want to call it. But, um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about what experimenting with producers kind of a thing. And this uh, experimenting with producers and coffee, and this have extend a little bit in our world of uh, Guatemala. And, uh, but what we're going to talk, it's about what challenges and rewards has been more of the experimenting with the producers. Um, I really sometimes don't know what was going on until you find out that it's it's been costing a lot of tension, and then you realize and the time that it's it's really hard to to do stuff, and then the people don't believe you, and it's about a lot of trust. Uh, like I learned from other guys, and you understand it afterwards that it actually happens. So I just want to point out like kind of the three things. We have a company that is called Paradigma Coffee Roasters, and the this is called Paradigm, and. Um, just a link, not a promotion, anything, but, but paradigm, it's something that we want to bring up and break this paradigm with producers. And one of the things that the challenges that we face off every day with the producers, with the customers, with the baristas, with everyone involved in coffee, it's actually trust, functionality, and uh, when, when I say the amounts of coffee, it's like, um, how do we work all this stuff? Um, for example, the challenges is the trust. Um, the trust is actually when you figured out in a producer, when I started to find out that we have a coffee, we want to find it. We, all of, all of us, we want a lovely coffee. So we'll, we go to talk to a producer and it's like, well, what coffee do you have? Uh, can we have some samples? And it's like, okay, I call them again one week. I call them the next week. I call them the third week. Incredibly, they prefer to give a sample to someone that you want to export the coffee as producer, which is totally understandable because normally in the national consumption, there will not be a lot of payment of this coffee, right? So they want to just give the coffee away to someone that will pay three fifty a pound, four dollars a pound, four fifty a pound, instead of just two dollars or something like that. So trying to build up and tell them, you know what, I want to buy this coffee. This is really amazing. This is something surprising. I want to put up in this cute label of colors and just bring up what you are doing instead of a lot, instead of a farm, instead of you giving a producer and not tell you what the name that you are. I wanted to trust me and I want to get that trust back. And, and that's how it works. Well, and, and people actually don't trust us. Like it, it, it's really hard to, to get into that, in, uh, into that functionality. We have to tell the producers, you know what, I'll pay you this coffee no matter what, how much you sell it, how much you sell it outside and we'll buy it no matter what amounts are they or no matter what cost is it, as long as it's good. And I, try, I will try really hard to buy this coffee, promote it, and then just put it up for someone that buys coffee outside, like for example, UK or Ireland or, or maybe Korea or something. And when actually deals builds up, it becomes this kind of a trust that, oh, this guy is, is, is not lying and he's talking something interesting. But the, then comes the problem of the amounts of coffee. As a national consumption or as a roastery over there, we go, so I want to experiment and make a natural coffee. And it's, um, how much coffee do you want to buy? The producers ask. And it's, well, maybe 10 bags. I don't have enough money, but 10 bags on the prices that are high. How do you build up to make more and uh, more coffee to sell. I don't know if you're not understanding me, but um, the amounts of coffee that we decide to buy from Guatemala, for example, if we're in a roastery and we want to sell this natural coffee all over the year, we don't know how much it's going to sell, but we can rent out of it because we can import different coffees. 
So how do we decide this thing? So let's say we, we make 50 bags. We're going to stay with 10, but the other 40, we buy them still, but we try to sell them to a, another roastery outside. What we're trying to do here, and maybe I see a faces that are confusing, is we try to build up trust, functionality, about creating opportunities and creating um, for the producers opportunities, opportunities for the baristas, opportunities for the roasteries that actually understand more about the Guatemalan coffee instead of just buying something that is already on the market, if you want to put it that way. Uh, I'm going to get into more of that, but the rewards of doing this is that we have better and higher consumption buying great coffees for Guatemala, for example, or you can do this example in origin countries and we try to pass this, is that we try to have a better and higher consumption, we have high quality coffees, and we have opportunities to export. This whole idea, and uh, this is a presentation, but what we try to do uh, is actually, if we have, if we have better coffees in an origin country, we're going to have uh, higher prices, we have higher consumption, and then the prices, they're going to go up. And that's the kind of th the theory. Uh, if we got higher prices, the exporters, they're going to buy less, they can buy less or higher uh, or more coffee, but the, the quality is going to go up in just origin countries and also in uh, consuming countries like Europe or Asia or, or other countries, right? Um, <clears throat> So step by step, what we try to do, we go and, and explain to you. We go to the producers and we try to find out uh, coffees that are not actually common on the market. We don't find the names as Cup of Excellence or these are the famous ones. We just go and find people that actually like the coffee and that's their lives because we're talking about lives here. So we find, for example, one coffee that was really amazing. We didn't, we didn't know this guy and he was uh, uh, drying coffee in uh, roofs of houses, which was pretty amazing because we didn't know actually this coffee, even though that it was really hard to work with him, but it was really amazing to say like, oh, you actually dry your coffee in, in houses. And then it was like, well, I can make more money out of this, um, but you have to gain this trust. So it's, it's kind of a complicated thing. And then we say, well, you know what? You have this coffee, but we want to suggest a process and buy you those coffees. And we have been having opportunities that we need to buy coffees in cherries. And we don't know actually what the results are going to be, which makes it more expensive for us. And it makes it really hard and excited at the same time. Um, we got, for example, uh, a natural or prop naturals we've been testing for over two years. And uh, these results have found really um, interesting because of the first time I went to Ethiopia like uh, two years ago. Two years ago, I we went to Ethiopia, and uh, I was really into naturals, and it was like really interesting thing. It's like, well, how do we do a natural in Guatemala? I've never heard that someone makes a really great natural. And you, then you realize that um, you expect as a Brazilian natural, more like fruity, earthy, kind of a heavy body. When you do a natural in Guatemala, you have the climate, which it's normally something that people tell you, the natural is not going to work. We went to this farm in Antigua as a yellow bourbon and we heard the, the yellow varieties are the one that actually makes it more sweeter to become a natural. And um, he was like, well, you're going to ferment my coffee. That sucks. Like you can buy, I, it was really hard to buy cherries for him. And it was like, no, this is not going to work. Like he didn't believe us. And it was like, well, you know what, whatever you want to do it. We make one bag and we tasted it uh, and it was really amazing. The first time I roasted it, uh, I took it to Russia 
uh, calling, for example, tasted. I was like, oh, he liked it. And it was the first time. Even for me, it was a surprise because I didn't know. And roasting nachos, like, ah, all this, you know, excitement that people from the coffee industry know what they're tasting. And it's, when, it's surprising to know that we were discovering new flavors in natural coffees of Guatemala. It was not just discovering natural processing on the country, but also for the consumers. So the next step was, let's bring this coffee and taste it to the people in Guatemala because we don't know it's actually it's going to work because that was the, the whole point of it. People started liking it. People loved it. People were saying, this doesn't need sugar. And in Guatemala, believe me, they consume a lot of sugar. <laughs> um, so it was becoming a really amazing thing. It's just combining a new flavors and open a door uh, that a few years from now, the competitors now, they're asking for natural processing, pulp natural coffees. And then it became the other thing that actually closes all of the story that I was telling you at the beginning. So maybe you can understand me better. Um, now there's a, a, a guy that it's in Korea and he wants to buy 30 bags of this natural processed coffee and we want to do it, we're going to do it on this harvest. And then I called the producer like one week before coming here and I was like, well, you know what? We want to make like 30 bags. Do you think that's possible? And he was like, yes. In fact, I'll do 80 bags or 60 bags. And I was like, what? Uh, well, yeah, this customer, you gave me, because I, I gave our, a producer a bag of our roaster coffee of the natural so you can taste it. And he was like, well, I gave, him a I gave him this coffee to some customer that visited the farm and he liked it, so he wants to buy this coffee. He was so surprised about that actually something that in my mind or our mind or something that was an experiment actually worked. And he totally transcended. He was like, well, he's going to pay like really good money. He didn't tell me. But um, he was going to pay like, I don't know, 350 or something, which normally for them, they pay like $250 a pound. So in, the, in my world, it was like changing a life of what actually can processing and experimenting can actually change more than lives. And it's, it is just becomes like the interesting thing about changing a world. Uh, now, most of the coffees it's a normal process and some of them can make it better or in a different idea. Uh, what we try to do at experimenting is how we decide what processing or how do we decide what to do with the coffees. And some of the coffees is not just like, oh, this coffee, it tastes good and I'm going to put it in a natural and a pulp natural and it just screws up the actual flavor that it already does. Um, we kind of cup them and try to make it better and, and even some coffees we have to make it in a little bit of chemical or even physical things that actually what happened. So that's kind of a, into the job that we are and it's really hard to to decide what coffees we do naturals or pop naturals. What helped us in origin is that if, for example, in this harvest we decide this is a Katura from some country, some, um, some uh, farm, we say we're going to do it natural, pulp natural, and washed just uh, half a bag or, you know, 50 pounds. Then we cup them at the beginning of the harvest and say like, oh, crap, that doesn't work. Ah, oh, yummy. <laughs> you know, and if, it, and if it come this, it's like really incredible to say, oh, this might work on this side. So we try to do one bag again into the beginning of the harvest, which in the beginning of the harvest is not the best coffee that we can have. Normally, it's at the middle or at the end of the harvest. So if we do that at the beginning, it's possible to us to manipulate it at the middle of the end of the harvest. So we actually 
we do instead of waiting one year to do this run this test again, we do it just at the beginning. So that makes us a little bit more of uh, intervention or advantage at some point. <clears throat> now, everything that we do and we try to do it's a really strong relationship. Um, and what we try to do is pull a lot of producers now with the coffee leave rust, which I don't want to talk anything about that. But um, it's a something serious that a lot of uh, producers are saying, you know what, I want to put some new varieties. I want to, you know, I need to spend a lot of money because 60% of my of all of my harvest went down and I need to five years of recovery. So how do we actually do this and work it out with them? And it's like, you know what, if you grow better coffee, if you try to sell or make some better coffee for us and we can try to export it for you, you can have more money and you can get that recovery faster. So that will help you and it will help the higher consumption into the country and it will help you as a producer to get you know better as micro lot. Right, so what we try to do is basically pull um, the producers from the different farms. As it's not big, big amounts, but it just micro, nano, fifty bags. This guy, for example, he normally he spent almost three years um, selling coffee to this one exporter, and he was normally from Atitlan. And it, there you go, there's a coffee, and buy, and you know they pay them. Right now, we, we buy them coffee from them. He only produces 50 bags. We bought them like six because we wanted to try. Next year, probably, we try to export and we're sending samples to another guys. And um, he wants to grow and he, with that money that is going to be a higher price, he's going to build his own um, uh, drying mill, for example. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, his own mill. He, gets, he doesn't have a mill. He, send this coffee to another one and he rented, which is a, makes it not as consistent and they have to control it. But the point of this is that it makes it uh, these opportunities to chase the producers and it's kind of a chasing thing and build them trust and explain to them this kind of a project. It makes it really, really hard, but incredible at the same time to build up this trust and pull them into this qu quality world, which is quality without this name of, of winners of a competition or winners of, of, of some award, right? So it's just we want to give opportunities to everyone, and you know, so we're we're increasing to learn into this world of roasting, buying coffees, cup them, and then we can actually tell them, you know what, baristas, there you go. There's a new coffee that comes out, and maybe next year we can have it around the world with someone that buys it, right? So this kind of a builds up what we want to do, you know. So we need to keep growing and be the one that takes the responsibility to earn trust. Uh, one thing that I've been learning a lot over these two years that I've been roasting and working with producers is that we're talking about lives. We normally say as baristas, because I started like that, it's we want to deliver the best coffee that we can for you. But sometimes as roasters, we forget that we actually talking about lives when someone delivers a coffee as a barista and we're buying coffees and we got families just, you know, living out of that. And that's their only lives. And they just get worried one day of raining and one day of drying to get this special bean from someone that was going to screw it up, right? And we know all that. But we want to bring up this important thing that is we're talking about lives. So quality, quali quality coffee brings up a lot of quality lives. So um, it's kind of like what I wanted to talk to you. So thank you very much.
and um, hope you enjoy. And I, I didn't talk that fast. Probably I got no, a no. lot of caffeine going on. Okay, so Fantastic. we're going to ask you some questions you. now. Uh, thank you so much. It was really interesting. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ridiculously envious of you to be able to, like, like essentially, you're going to farms, you're sourcing coffee, you're helping with the processing, you then get the coffee dried, stored, you roast it, you pull shots at it, you talk to customers. Like, you're there every step along the way. We're, we're trying to do that kind of a build up. It, it just makes it every time that you go into deeper and deeper, you understand more about what actually the coffee is and not just as a, as a bean, you know? If you're you're trying to transmit all the all the trend, so it makes it more easier to understand at the, at the end. It's like it's just here here you go, like you know. And as much as we talked about business today, in every aspect of what you do, and I think a lot of the speakers today have reflected this, is that trust is a huge issue. Yeah. Like even in a, in a shop floor, you're you're trying to get somebody to try something that's different to what they're used to. It, it comes down to trust, like and uh, whether you're going to keep delivering what you say you're going to do for them. Um, so talk to us a little bit about like how do you gain the trust of these farmers and, and I mean for example when when I started doing this and buying coffees like I realized that I was uh, the first the first coffee that I bought for the roastery it was I've been working with them since 2009 because uh, I used that coffee for one competition and then he was like you know what here you go ten bags pay me whatever you want which that's like amazing like it's incredibly like gaining trust and then i realized with a lot of producers i had to talk them one year before the harvest even started it to just like hey how are you can i go to your farm and they was like no like i was like what <laughs> why well it's just you know private i was like what and, and it was like just and it, it's you don't understand sometimes like each one of the producers as, as any customer you need to talk to them in a different way to gain your trust or, or even to gain our trust, you know? Because if, if they don't care, like, we're not going to buy your coffee. Do you find that the, the farming community in Guatemala, that, do they act like a community? Do they work together and share ideas? And, or is it more kind of like enclosed? Are they afraid of letting their secrets In some go? regions, you can actually find that it's uh, the popular ones that you could say, like, they don't work together, some of them, I even though in front of them, they were like, oh, yeah. We're, you know, we're buddies, yeah. you know, but... Like coffee shops. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's just, uh, but, <laughs> but I mean, at the same time... Or roasteries. I mean, but at the same, <laughs> but at the same time, it is in, in some of the small communities, the people that they don't... They, they just want to become better. It's so much easier to just work with them, but at the same time, it's hard to... to you know, it, it's it's kind of like you have to follow them and just call them a, a lot, and it, it's hard as as any other job. But it, but I mean, it's uh, in the small communities you found that they want to get better, and it's so much easier to expect that trend. It's easier to change uh, as a new farm instead of like this farm has been 20 years doing that. Why I'm gonna change it? You know, very like coffee shops actually, <laughs> and roasters. So um, you were saying in the presentation, you were talking about processing methods and varietals and hey, do you, do you think that that is a bigger thing for you because you're only buying Guatemalan coffee, so you're looking for that variety that, like, as a roaster, I feel really, I, I would feel really enclosed just buying one country's coffee um, because of that range of flavors. Is that something that drives you to look for these differences in processing and varieties? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, uh it's it's kind of the rule that we can import, so that becomes kind of a not boring, but in a way it becomes boring that you have these great coffees, but every time that we travel, it's like we, we taste the Kenya, 
And it was like, oh, I just want Kenya's. And then we go, do you want a sour? And I was like, oh, I just too close to home. And it's, I mean, not because it's bad or anything, but it, it just becomes like a little bit um, boring in a way of, t of tasting, you know? Because you, you want to, people, uh, one of the things that problems are emerging is that they don't, when you taste more coffees, you, you learn more, right? So how do we do that? And we, don't, we can't bring in other coffees. Let's just play around. And, and, and I've just been hearing a lot of like, processing names which that doesn't exist i mean it's y you can play with 14 and 16 hours of fermentation and one pulp natural wash and that's two different flavors and there's so much to do the, one of the challenges of work like for instance the guy with drawing on his roof you you took me there in january to go and see this guy and you're just like he doesn't have that much coffee, you know, yeah. and obviously he's going to need a higher price because his production is so much lower. How, what, what unique challenges are they working with a small farm like there than, say, San Sebastian, which is another one you took to, which is a huge farm that's very well known and, and a very different set of circumstances. How do you cope and deal with those two different people? Um, both of them, you can say that it's really hard to work with them in different aspects. You know, even though that it's a huge farmer, you can, you know, just have this little card and, you know, and this other guy. But it's it's one of them. It's the comprehension about experience of having a lot of time of having that farm. But maybe the other one, it's like, oh, we messed up with this because we normally don't do pulp naturals. So our range of coffee went lower. So we only instead of having 20. We only have five. I'm sorry. And it's like, we're like, uh, you know, because it's, it's so that's kind of the hard thing of uh, getting prepared and being an origin because you normally, if you're outside, you can say like, well, it doesn't matter. I'll, I only have five of this, but I'll, you know, I have 20 of this one. So I just, you know, S so you have to be able to, to have your backup if you want to put it that way. Um, I think something that's, that's quite obvious in the three speakers that we've had today, but yourself, Morton, and Phil as well, is that um, there's a sense that, yes, as a business, we've got bills to pay, but like listening to you, listening to what you're talking about here, there's a very matter-of-fact kind of a opinion that you have that this is the way to do things, and this is the way, like, it almost seems like you have a cause, like that you're trying to improve the country, that, that this is the right way to do things, and you want to, you want to improve the standard across the board. Like, what drives you? Is it... Do you want to put Guatemala on a pedestal, or you just want to improve the lives of the farmers individually, or mental problems? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually don't know. I mean, one of th it's it's just incredible, uh, and I keep saying that one one time, uh, rookie uh, took me to Africa, and I got appendicitis, uh, and I got surgery in Rwanda, which it was incredibly fun, and um, surgery. the surgery was fun. Yeah, actually, I got really high. But, and morphine. Anyway, <laughs> um, but I mean, it was incredible to go into Africa and you see a lot of different perspective. But the second thing that actually came up into my mind, it was like, uh, we went to give a workshop two days before. And uh, when I was in the hospital, these varistas came up over there and they were waiting for me to get out of the surgery. And when I was get up, I, I sing a song that it was like a Lion King thing. That's another story. But um, it, it was just like sur wholly surprising about these guys, I just met them. I mean, and, and they were just waiting for me at the hospital just eight hours or something like that. I was like, and I was questioning myself and it was like, then yeah, you realize that 
every time that you go a workshop, you do this like temper tantrum, or you give talks, and you know this. It's just you are actually changing lives, you know, and it's just incredible. Like you, you don't know how much actually affects until someone tells you that it actually changed it, you know. So by doing this whole of experimenting with producers or breaking paradigms, you found these trends and new things uh, that you can change lives in the producers, and that will be reflected in you later on because you're going to be making some coffee that this guy bought. Yeah. You know, so it just it, it just makes it a really full trend, and um, and I think that more than putting in a pedestal Guatemala, it's. Uh, it becomes into the you actually can be an ambassador when you want it to be, yeah. right? In the and, and you know you do it and it's it's whenever you want to do it. There's there's no actual barrier and the, the only barrier it's 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 us, right? Um, you know. That makes a lot of sense. So so like Guatemala as a as a growing country, it's kind of pre two thousand was the biggest grower in Central America. But that's kind of been on a decline, you know, with output. Are there things that concern you about Guatemalan production with this drop in, you know, dropping in actual quantity and the challenges of leaf rust and all the other things that are going on? Are there things that really concern you about Guatemalan coffee for the future? Um, I mean, I think that you can control, like, everything. I mean, there's... You can control everything, and you can tell. I mean, I I can tell the producers. You know what? Don't don't put these beans because it's not gonna work. Um, of course, they they try. They're worried about some kind of stuff. The only thing that I can do is it's put a picture of like you know what I can help you to make it a, a little bit better. Maybe the concerns that I will have it's uh, just don't don't stop believing. Don't stop. I'm just kidding. Uh, but but I mean is. <laughs> It actually, it actually makes it that. Um, I think that I will be more concerned of uh, not, or, or me stopping working, you know? Because uh, we, we need to create, this is a, for Guatemala right now, the trend is really changing. And we need to create more events. We need to create more possibilities. We need to create more, uh, you know, doors open to just a lot of people come here and make things happen, you know? What I, do, I mean, do, do you think, from winning the World Barista Championship, that's opened that more opportunities for you. Do you feel like a personal responsibility of being that ambassador last year, you know, and, and obviously going forward? Do you feel that's a personal responsibility? Or? It, it, was a, it was an incredible thing that, I mean, I came second and I, said, and I said to myself, like, we need to be ambassadors no matter, I mean, we're champions of the country, right? So we, we should be ambassadors no matter what. And... and and I started to doing that and a lot of Latin America traveling a lot. And winning the worlds, I actually didn't expect that the country went crazy. Like it was like really a lot of people talking about it. Uh, and it opened totally a door to be just people more receptive and hearing the word barista, you know, and, uh, and coffee. And it's just like it, it actually took the fear away of you know what this is this is quality coffee this don't drink coffee with sugar or at least try it or just you know there's so much better quality coffee um, people are afraid that if you get into this quality you know prices it's like no no one's gonna pay it and they actually do and they you know they don't they people pay for quality and it's opened a huge door but you just someone needs to do it like it's just 
you know so it's it 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 helped me a lot so i think yeah championship it, it becomes a little bit more open door but you need to keep going and going i think so you will appreciate this more than anybody else because you've been on that stage today thanking sponsors and getting people to clap for stuff yes we've avoided that this year so our sponsor just wants to have some recognition for online questions so people breville usa have been tweeting to ask questions and awesome. we have some questions for you okay. from our um from our ask the experts so you're an expert what? today um so right. the first question <laughs> is <coughs> was winning the wbc easier because you're from a producing country and that's from john sampson from the uk so was ask, winning if you ask me it was cheating yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> i unplugged his stuff in his grinder before well, I don't think it was easier because I'm from a producing country. Well, it used to be seen as a hindrance a little bit. You as know? a what? As a hindrance. So it was actually harder to win because you were from a producing country because English may not be your first language. You know, you may have certain barriers and access to equipment or practice space. I mean, now it's kind of seen, oh, yeah, producing countries win stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that was easier. It actually, t t I mean... Everyone can exp I mean, if Norway won before, or UK, or Ireland, or, or any other country, or El Salvador, but I mean, I think that you, every, every time changes and changes, um, totally like expanding what you normally do on, on your own. Like, I, I understand why I didn't win, for example, in London, I came second, and I was like, oh yeah, and then it took me so many years to understand it, why? Um, and then when you do what you normally what I was doing, and, and you know, Vienna, it was actually more competing about, representing about the producing countries, about, oh, I'm experimenting this, this is fun, I should just take it over there. It, it, it didn't make it easier. I think it made it easier uh, just sharing and asking and you creating opportunities and, you know, talking to people. Cool. That's, good. That's that a good answer. answer. Yeah. So next question is, what, who is your favorite competition barista? And that's from Robert Beswick from USA. So Wow. Um, barista competition, I, I think... Um, we, we, had this we had this yesterday, didn't we, somebody asked, but that was your favorite barista, and they completely dodged it. Yeah, so cool somebody's on. obviously learned there and said competition barista. So competition barista, so it can be any competition. Any competition. Uh, can I say AeroPress competitions? No. If you like. <laughs> I think... I bet Ibrick. Um. <laughs> Who's your favorite Ibrick champion? <laughs> Um, um, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one. Incumbent. That one. No, I mean, I think um, uh, I'll think I'll, I'll say me. I'm, I'm just. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I that is so Raul. <laughs> that is just so you. No, we'll leave it at that. I'm glad we. I'm glad we. <laughs> I hope you like the answer, Robert. Um, the next one. Oh. Ah. What is the Guatemalan coffee scene like? And that's from Melissa Norton from the U.S. So, I is there a scene? Is there a scene? Is it scene? I think they probably mean in terms of like a, like a barista scene rather like than a barista scene. Obviously, you've got farms, so that's a scene in itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of guns. But I'm just kidding. Uh, no, no, I mean, you're, not. The, the, the <laughs> you're alive. <laughs> Only just. <laughs> no, I'm. Uh, the coffee scene is really wonderful right now. There's a, it's in a. Uh, this time I put myself uh, and uh, another companies into organizing the competition in Guatemala, and we try to do cup tasters the next year and uh, last year or anything. But it's just in a, in a snowball that are actually our people are just happy about coffee. They're just 
coffee, coffee, and it just sounded more like a quality. Well, yeah, I mean, you have some shops. You, you took me around a few of the shops in Guatemala City, and it was just, there were some amazing coffee shops that I, like, I've, I've never seen that variety of shops doing good things in, in a producing country. So you go to El Salvador and you've got Viva doing good work. And, you know, you can go to other places. You might find one coffee shop. Like in Bolivia, I found one coffee shop doing amazing stuff in La Paz. But you find one. Whereas you took me to like three or four places in Guatemala that were doing great coffee. What I appreciated is, again, you learn and you always were traveling and you realize that you you will not find a perfect coffee shop. You know, you will have. But when you find like a lot of places that you have good coffees and what in Guatemala it's happening is the farmers are deciding to open their own cafes, which makes it really amazing because it's, it's like... We got like three farmers maybe that has cafes in Guatemala. And then there are a lot of people that are just like, well, that's a good idea. It's it's cheaper. I can, you know, just put my coffee over there. Straight across the road from the hotel, Elin Herto had a coffee shop there. And he's just like, how cool is this? It's It's a steady stream of feedback as well because I think a lot of the time it's the communication issues between customers and baristas, baristas and roasters, roasters and importers, importers and farmers. And it's like if if you have a farm and a shop, I mean, you're cutting a lot of that. That uh, that miscommunication out, so I think it must uh, and and huge impacts not quality. just in the city, but for example, well, Antigua is, is kind of the city that it's known, and everyone's like, oh, you should open one in Antigua, and you don't have an idea how much they are. But but now the the cities that are on the size, they're just opening cafes, and they're just like, yeah, why not? And they drink coffee, and it's going to be thirty degrees, and they'll drink coffee. That's you know, it's just it's it's in a trend that is it's so much growing. Yeah, and there's one more. Why is El Salvadorian coffee better than Guatemalan coffee from Alejandro Mendez from El Salvador? <laughs> I, I put that one in. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm going to read it again. <laughs> um, has the audience got any questions that they would like to put to Raul? Anything they want to ask? Hi. Um, Hi. You know, they asked you earlier about um, what you see about farms, if you're worried about anything. Some of the things that I've seen is a tendency for um, farms to diversify um, away from coffee, especially because of the leaf rust. So from, are you seeing with some of the farmers that you work with this this thing? Because I'm, I'm worried that if we're not able to um, connect as many farmers that are dedicated to growing coffee with roasters like um, has been and other roasters who are passionate about coffee that um, coffee's gonna like people are gonna stop farming it's really hard to break even you know farming's not it's not easy and it's are you are you finding that with the farmers you're working with um Actually, not as, as dying as oh, we're gonna just stop growing coffee. Um, the trend in Guatemala it doesn't disappear that you can actually buy coffee from Guatemala. Like it's it's not, and I don't think that. Oh, I don't mean it that drastic. Yeah, I mean I'm saying like what, 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 we're what, gonna significantly reduce our coffee. They don't reduce it. They start just for example because of the of the diseases. They just start grow, uh, harvesting uh, varieties that are resistant to that. Like even though the coffee, but the coffee quality will go down. So that's kind of the issue or the trouble, which uh, they don't want to do that. Even the people they don't want to do it, 
the producers are not, you know. Really, you're not seeing because I'm seeing uh, with that the a producers lot. with the producers yeah. that I'm working directly. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I mean, I there are probably a lot of people that will say like, you know what, I'll just harvest something else or just farm, but. Uh, there's a because of the altitude in Guatemala. There was a lot of there was a lot of uh, uh, coffee leaf rust that actually affected. I have some farms that they didn't have any loss at all. No, I, I so mean, there was. I mean, well, Acatenango was like hit two years. Acatenango, right? you got a problem in Antigua. Well, with Tenango, they didn't have that one. Well, Acatenango is like um, they're kind of recovered from it, right? Like re they're on the they're on the mend. Yeah, right? but I mean, like everyone else is kind of. Some of them, I mean, some of them they got problems, but some of them they were, they were worried about it. There were some producers that they were like, "Well, no, nah, that's not gonna affect us," because coffee rust is not something. Like, oh, then we got it. You know, it's just like something that it y you can see it coming slower. Right, right, right. So it's also, how much money do you have to spend on fertilizer? I know some know? producers, and one of them that actually this guy that uh, dried it in the roof, he used all organic stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's it's I think it's it's a matter of how do we do it and and so it's hard of course it has to be you know becomes a, as a money thing and some of them uh, you know can, how can we work this out uh, but that's kind of the thing that we try to do how do you get them to get more money so you can you actually connect what you connect right like exactly I mean that's what you're trying to do because I mean if we focus on like oh this happening this is happening. But we need, you need, there's a lot of people working on, on the side that how we help these guys, you know, like how we don't, like, uh, uh, for example, Anna Kavan, that's Sadie Kane at the time, for example, you know, on that side, which I don't work, but. And on the other side, there's people, me, and there's a, a, a lot of people that are focusing a lot of micro lots in Guatemala. So they w try to elevate the prices of that coffee, and you elevate them by quality, they will get more money so they can have more resources to fight this part of of uh, having fertilizing stuff for the coffee rusts, if you know, for the leaf rust. You know what I mean? <laughs> you a little bit, no? I, I get what you're saying. Um, Maybe I'm not answering your question. Yeah, but, oh, no, I think you did. I, I guess you're not seeing a lot of farmers that are kind of feeling defeated a little bit um, because of the plagues and... Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing some farmers that are kind of thinking like, well, I make more money with the macadamia that, you know. I, I agree with it. I can, uh, I don't know a lot of, mm -hmm. of growers. Like it's, it's a totally more new world for me as a, mm -hmm. as a meeting a lot of producers. Uh, but definitely I think that I will meet more people that I will be and I'll try to oh. convince them somehow. I mean. I think I'm sure when people meet you, they're, they're um, you know, it's kind of like a breath of fresh air because that trust is um, <laughs> is something that everyone's talked about. But I don't think people realize how difficult it is to actually earn trust when it, it is, kind yeah. of like the culture of Guatemala has been for. I agree. No, I agree with you. It's 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 a lot of work, and sometimes you need just two years of conversations, just right. conversations. You know. Well, oh, thank you. It's an excellent question. I, oh. I was very late then. I think um, on that on on that one of farmers feeling defeated by uh, all of the challenges that have been thrown at them over recent years of market prices of coffee rust of you know borer like all of these issues keep coming up. If you talk to a cocoa farmer, they've had it like a million times worse. 
like because of the lack of um, diversity in the in the plants. So when the disease comes along, we have some plants that are more resistant than others. We have some that are more affected, you know, in coffee. In cocoa, it's a nightmare because it's so focused on this varietal that everybody uses. And this is an agricultural product problem worldwide, not just coffee's problem. It's, it's, it's a worldwide problem where people have been having... Plants get diseases, you know. This is the, our biggest problem is we don't pay enough money for the coffee. So that's... Where, when these things come along, it hits harder because the, the, the producers aren't getting the money to suck up that pest problem or that disease problem that's come along. Uh, I, I, my personal take on it. I agree with you. I think that, I mean, it's, just, it's a lot of... a conversation killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who likes football? No, no. So, uh, any more questions before we wrap up? One from Dale. Um... I don't, I don't know whether this is a stupid question. It might be, so just say it is if it is. Um, like you travel a lot and barista competitions and being like a, a progressive roaster and you're seeing everything here and you're looking to experiment. And I wonder whether what is, what this community here uh, and maybe, maybe like uh, maybe the States and maybe, maybe in the UK, these like specialty sections, what we consider tasty and interesting how that compares to what else is available in Guatemala in a cafe, and like, do the specialty cafes in Guatemala agree on the same things that are tasty there as we think? Like, is tasty the same everywhere? Totally not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, tasting. I'll go, I'll go of uh, instead of saying that. This tastes here lovely and over there lovely. I think that it's more about personal preferences. Uh, that's something that you can't control all over the world. And for me, this is great. And from some other person, oh, that's just, you know, we drink that in uh, Ireland every day or we drink that on Australia that every day. So it's it's kind of a hard thing to do. And, and I'm not going to say that, oh, this is the best coffee you're going to have, but maybe the experience they will have with this coffee that will be unbelievable. Um, and I think uh, what we're trying to do with the, the coffees is try to show them and create your own uh, kind of a wheel of flavors because, you know, you're, it depends on what you're going to taste every time. And um, it's about personal preferences. I mean, I, I think that's... And it's not a stupid question at all. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I think we owe this man a, a big round of applause, please. Mr. Raoul Rodas. Thank you, guys.